On this episode of the Naturist Living Show, we discuss aging clubs and an interview with Stina Sieg, who is traveling across North America. This episode of the Naturist Living Show is brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. At Bear Oaks, we offer traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Free your body, free your mind. www.bearoaks.ca Again, loyal listeners to the Naturist Living Show. My name is Stefan Deschain. I'm your host for this episode, and I'm also the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. On August 21st, 2009, uh, Glenico Family Nudist Park sent a letter to its members um, informing them that after 54 years of operation, they will be closed on October 1st. They apparently sold the property to an individual who's turning into a private residence. Uh, whatever the future of that property, the sad news is a naturist club is disappearing from the Ontario landscape. So many people contacted me by email, by phone, or just talked to me and thought because Glen Echo is the closest club to uh, Bay Oaks Family Naturist Park, they're only about uh, 30 kilometers or 30 minutes away, that I'd be happy because I'd have less competition and certainly there'd be a whole influx of uh, Glen Echo members looking for a new place to be. But I'm actually quite sad. I, I'm I'm quite sad because, first of all, Glen Echo was a park that I belonged to for many years. Uh, my children, when they were younger, spent a lot of time there. I'm also sad for all the people who uh, have been members forever, people who have raised their children there, uh, their grandchildren, the people who were born and raised on, on the property. It's like losing uh, the family estate, the family compound, the family cottage. 54 years is a long time, and several generations have passed through there. But I'm also sad because I think that more clubs is better for the nature scene than less clubs. Uh, in the Toronto area, uh, based on a survey that the Federation of Canadian Naturists did in uh, 1999, there's 400 to maybe 500,000 people who are interested in naturism. And yet, if you add up all the clubs together, you'd only get to maybe five, 6,000 members at most, and that's probably on the high side. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there that are interested in naturism um, and don't belong and don't visit clubs. And having one less club isn't going to help. Most clubs are, certainly for campsites, are pretty full. Um, and, uh, you know, I've always said, if there was only one golf course in the Toronto area, there probably wouldn't be a lot of golfers. And it's the same thing with naturism. The more clubs, the better. In fact, I'm working with the uh, remaining three clubs in the Toronto area to do some combined advertising because I think we all recognize that we're not competing with each other. Um, the reason that most those other hundreds of thousands of people aren't naturists has more to do with the fact that uh, they don't know the opportunity exists. Um, in fact, I uh, regularly you know, talk with people and they say, what do you do? And I say, I own a naturist park. And uh, they go, oh, that's interesting. And they say, I didn't know that such places existed in Ontario. And uh, that's a very, very common response amongst the textile crowd. And so that shows there's a lot of opportunity for uh, promotion and marketing because the people who indicate in the survey they're interested obviously aren't coming because they don't know. But I think Glen Echo, uh, Glen Echo was actually failing. Um, they, they had fewer and fewer members, uh, which is why the owners, Eddie and Mary Todorowsky, were forced to sell. Um, well, I assume they were forced to sell. I don't know their uh, circumstance as to why they decided to sell, but I know that the membership there was dropping steadily. And it's an example of, uh, you know, naturism is not dropping. Glen Echo uh, was experiencing a drop in members because they hadn't kept with the times. Um, you know, people were camping at Glen Echo in sites without electricity, without running water. Um, that was fine in the 60s. People were willing to rough it when they were camping like that. They would spend whole summers that way. Uh, don't get me wrong. There was water available in the washrooms and the bathhouse and uh, showers and all that. But uh, at your site, there was nothing. And uh, today, people come in with their trailer, RV, and they expect uh, 30, 50 amp electricity because they have a dishwasher, they have a microwave, um, and they expect water, and they expect hookups. And that's not just typical of naturism, it's typical of all camping. 
Um, plus other amenities, you know, internet uh, available, um, activities, events. And sadly, these were all things that uh, Glen Echo and other clubs that seem to be having a hard time attracting members have difficulty getting to. Uh, or they're not good at marketing themselves anymore. Maybe the uh, membership base has aged. Maybe they spent too many years with a very healthy uh, membership, and they weren't really interested in any further growth because they thought they were fairly full. And so they stopped marketing. They stopped uh, improving. But eventually, sadly, uh, some of those members die off, um, and you end up with a population of generally elderly naturists, which when young people come, uh, find the place a little too dull, sedate, and a bit like a retirement home. And uh, this is the problem with a lot of clubs. It's not because naturism is having trouble attracting members. There are many clubs that are growing and are very healthy. We have absolutely no problems attracting new young families at Baroques. Uh, our marketing is bringing them in all the time. And most of our growth has been with people who've never visited a club before because they weren't aware any existed. Or if they've been to clubs, they weren't happy with what they found, but they like it here. So it is sad, though, to lose another club, I would have preferred to see somebody else take over Glen Echo and uh, work with the rest of us in promoting naturism in the Toronto area. We would have all been ahead uh, if that had happened. And uh, we're also losing what was the oldest club in Ontario. Glen Echo started in 1955. Um, there was a group of uh, individuals uh, that formed the Toronto Gymnosophical Society. They were actually a group of members of a, from a, a previous group called uh, Sunglade. Uh, Sunglade members, uh, the, the club existed from 1949 to 1953. Um, they never had, they were sort of a non-landed club. They used other people's property. And in 1953, after a dispute that failed, and some of those people got together to form the TGS, the Toronto Gymnosophical Society, who in turn, um, Eddie and Mary Todorowsky, uh, who were the founders and, and up until now owners of Glen Echo, um, they they bought the land for Glen Echo and leased it to the club uh, because the club itself was having trouble finding a way of financing a land purchase. So they stepped up, they purchased the land, 100 acres, and uh, they started doing the development. But in the uh, mid-60s, um, things weren't going very well, apparently, for the TGS group. And so Glen Echo became essentially a private uh, naturist, nudist park, TGS, a group of individuals that was a cooperative social club, uh, ceased to exist, and Glen Echo became a private business. Um, it certainly wasn't the oldest club, and nor was Sunglade. When you read uh, Dr. Jim Wykey's book on the history of nudism in Canada, there are clubs uh, going back to the very beginning of the 20th century. But Glen Echo was the oldest continuously operating club, and... Uh, the the uh, oldest club now, actually, is uh, Sunny Glades. No relation to Sunglade. Uh, Sunny Glades is in southwestern Ontario near Chatham. It's owned by Stan Wartner. And I actually had an opportunity to sit down with Stan in August and interview him about the start of his club and what it was like in the beginning. Uh, he still runs a very active club, and uh, he would like to pass the torch in the future, but he seems to have maintained a club that's still actually growing. Uh, all their sites are full and doing quite well. Very active membership. It's a beautiful club. The property is incredible. The uh, Stan's always had a passion for trees and nature and fauna, and he's uh, over the uh, 50 years that he's had the club, He's cultivated that and worked with nature to make it an even more beautiful and more interesting property. Um, Stan uh, actually was a, a member of Sun Valley Gardens as well, which is, I should mention, because in terms of history, that's the most interesting club in Ontario. Sun Valley Gardens existed from 1954 to 1982, and uh, Carl Rule was the first public uh, owner of a club. He was very promoted. Uh, promotion-oriented, very public in promoting naturism. He held open houses. He held all kinds of events. Uh, they got a lot of press. And not everybody agreed uh, with what uh, Carl Rule and Sun Valley Garden was about. Um, uh, the park is uh, near St. Catharines. Uh, it's actually in Font Hill, which is in the St. Catharines, Niagara Falls area, for those who aren't completely familiar with the Ontario geography. And uh, that park... It was very small, 25 acres, but very active. 
And uh, it, he encouraged people to start their own clubs as well. But also a lot of people left because he was fairly – he was known to be fairly autocratic about how he ran the club. And a number of people left and started other clubs. And in fact, almost every club in Ontario owes its existence somehow to uh, people who were going to Sun Valley Gardens. Uh, and certainly Eddie and Mary Todorowsky of Glen Echo were visitors to Sun Valley Gardens before they joined the uh, TGS and started Glen Echo. And uh, Stan Wardner also was a visitor to uh, Sunny Glades regularly and left to decide to start his own. And in other clubs, Ponderosa and by association, uh, the Four Seasons were also founded by people who were visitors to Sunny Glades uh, and Lily Valley, who, which is still existing. But now, with the closure of Glen Echo, Sunny Glades and Stan Wartner have the oldest club in Ontario. So let's listen to my interview with Stan Wartner of Sunny Glades. When did you first start in naturism? Okay, probably, uh, I would say, 54, 1954, or something like that. So I had a 54, 53 Ford. And... Uh, I wrote a letter to, to Carl, but the, at that time, what what letters going were going out to British Columbia, and uh, it was uh, Mildred Harris and I forget her her husband's name Ray Connett. Ray Connett, and then they forwarded my letter to Carl, and so my wife and I went up to, to see what it was about. And it was pretty primitive. I mean, when I, when I, it, was, it was primitive in the sense that uh, he had some trails that, on that greasy clay and he had to put sand on them so you couldn't you wouldn't slip in wet weather. And he had a shower, four poles, and the poles were fresh cut and they were still growing leaves on them. And this was his shower. But it, to us, it was a new experience. And I was... I was more or less familiar with the principles of nudism or nudity uh, in a social set, social environment. And uh, so we went up, and uh, we enjoyed ourselves. And then uh, we went back up the following years for a short vacation, mini vacation. And then from there on, uh, he was, Carol was the type of person that was trying to encourage a lot of people who visited there, if they were remote or not close to him, to start their own nudist parks. So he encouraged a number of people uh, to make this attempt. In, in hindsight, a lot of the uh, attempts were failure, ended up as failures, only because probably they were under undercapitalized. Now, we're back in the 50s. Yeah. You know, we're back in the 50s when probably the average average wage, if you made $50 a week, you, you made a, more than an average wage say $200 a month or something like that it would be so that property you know was still cheap but you still had to make that that hurdle of buying and then developing it and a lot, a lot of a lot of the people who bought property weren't weren't funded well enough to to expand so there was a, there were a lot of attempts a number of attempts actually and uh, the successful ones uh, Eddie and Mary at Glen Echo, or TGS as they called it, they, they were the ones that uh, were successful. And uh, we bought our property in 59, and I don't say we were successful, but we're still here. <laughs> <laughs> now, what drove you to do that? Why did you decide you wanted to start your club? Well, I wasn't so interested in a club within a club frame of mind. Never had that in mind. I was always interested in conservation and a whole lot of other other side side things. And this property, as it turned out, and I looked at other properties in the in the general area. Looking at properties, I was looking for for a number of things: water. And since 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 I was in the in the county area, a lot of areas have water. Very difficult problems of getting water. Uh, you either get have to go deep, and you might get sulfur, you might get salt, or you might not get a good good well. So when I was up here, and we were also looking because uh, I had familiarity with with clay farms, I wanted something sand so you could 
It was and this property here. We just came. It was up for sale. It just been posted, and I walked on it. And we had had a heavy rain prior, just prior to that. When I say heavy rain in the fall, like two or three inches, and there wasn't a speck of water laying here anywhere on the sand. And of course, being down at Sun Valley Gardens, got a taste of what clay would do do to you. Uh, great for growing grapes and things like that. But <clears throat> as it turns out, but here uh, it, was, it was it was sand. So that, this is why I settled here. And the price is right. The price is right. And I've, I've got a, two kids, one dog, and a wife. I'm living in a in a little cottage, sixteen, by, yeah, sixteen by twenty-four, with my running water consisted of a pipe coming up through the floor, running cold water. My outdoor toilet was on skids, and I dug a hole underneath of it, and I actually virtually pioneered because. The second year that I was here, my cottage wasn't occupied, and I had three break-ins in one winter. You know, that type of thing. So we moved up here and really, really and truly pioneered. You know, and uh, we, we enjoyed it, but, but we, were, we were without a lot of things, a lot of services. I had one telephone and one television and that type of thing. And, uh, you worked hard. Well, we probably did. Yeah, probably did. Never... Never really give it much thought as far as work and concern. So, how was it different running a, a naturist or a nudist park in 1959 from today? Well, the, the rules and the laws of uh, a number of things were much different than they are today. See, a lot of people forget that we had a lot of blue laws back in the 50s. And by blue laws, I mean just for a good, good example. To go and get a, a case of beer at the, at the beer store, you had to sign a piece of paper saying that you were, you know, that you were 21 years old and that you uh, were going to use this and take this home. But when you took it home, you couldn't sit on your front step or your front lawn drinking it. A lot of people forget what freedoms are all about. Not necessarily talking about taking your clothes off. Just a matter of just a whole lot of other things. It had been a matter of social behavior that was regulated by bylaw or provincial law. We had no problems establishing the park. I had a lawyer in Chatham go through the, the statutes to see what the Canadian law had to say about nudity in public or private and, uh, you know, its, it's consequences. So he, he researched it and there was nothing that said, you know, there were a lot of things that said if you were an exhibitionist or on a, on a, in view from public property, then you could be charged, but not on private property. We also went from the, uh, the legal office, the law office in Chatham, and went around to uh, see the... Uh, he was a district inspector of the OPP headquarters for... That was number one headquarters, and that, that dealt with Essex and Kent County. Had audience with him and told him who we were, what we were going to do. And he said, he said, oh, he said, they wouldn't have any problem problem with anybody uh, from their their side of the, the course. Thank us for coming in and everything else, and give us a word of advice. The advice was, if you can get along with your neighbors, you'll get along with us. All I can remember is he was obviously an Englishman, and he had the name of Inspector Ramsbottom. <laughs> but he was he was nice and he was knowledgeable. He understood what nudism was all about, you know, from probably from the UK or European side of things. I mean, we're talking fifty-nine, you know, nineteen fifty-nine, and uh, from there on in, we just you know gradually went up. We didn't, we didn't push a lot of buttons or offended a lot of people because, first of all, I didn't have any neighbors on the concession. I still don't have any neighbors. I have one neighbor across the road from me, and the other neighbors, there's some behind me and some down at the end of the road. So I don't have really any close neighbors, and I have the Canadian National Railroad. 
on bordering a, a small portion of the property. Probably the only problem we had was that since this was a woodlot wood and is in an area with a lot of woodlots, come, come the autumn, a lot of the locals were, were in a habit of using this as their private hunting preserve. So we had, since I was opposed to hunting, we ran into some problems that way. Problems in the sense of enforcing trespassing in the sense of getting people out of here. How did you get members? How did you advertise, or and who were you, who do, who were you targeting? Who did you want as members at the time? Well, we put an ad in the paper. They refused to take my ad. I don't know why that was, and I probably still have his letter on file. But they, uh, I persisted, and they they relinquished, and then I started to advertise in the newspapers. Myself and uh, Ted Lasecki. He was advertising in late in a few years later, same paper, and Holiday Valley, which was had opened up. They were also sort of three ads were all listing in the in the newspaper. Got to find that, that after a while I wasn't getting the results that I should should be getting. Too much letter writing, too much correspondence, and I had a listing in the, uh, some of the newest magazines. From, in the United States, Mervyn Mounts' publications, just a listing. And uh, so I, I was getting inquiries from Detroit, Michigan area. Were you like some of the clubs that you only took married people at the time? or uh... No, no, I didn't have that policy at all. I had a different, uh, a different approach. I was taking things from a... You know, invite them out, and they look like they could pass the test, give everybody a fair chance. And some people never, you know, they say they were coming out and never did. And uh, there was, there was a, a number of uh, situations that uh, afterwards, you know, looking back, I questioned the, the motives of the people that I, that I actually was getting inquiries from. Uh, they uh, a lot a lot of them uh, you know held their their light under the per- proverbial bushel basket uh, to give you some idea how sensitive some people were. I had some couples from uh, some people from the United States driving great big Cadillacs and things like that, and they park their car and, and cover the license plates. That's uh, you know one of the things that you kind of wonder. Uh, you know, whether their positions were in jeopardy, uh, we had we had some members here too that didn't want to want a total anonymity, just absolutely total anonymity. And I think it's still there's there's still a, a twinge of that mm-hmm. that here they'll they'll go, people will come in, or they don't come in. They might live in Chatham, mm-hmm. and they'll go to. Four seasons, or they'll go to the United States someplace, or down in Florida, and they never come here. Simply because they're either either business people, or and they think it's too close to home. And what if somebody sees them that knows them? We never, we didn't proselytize in a sense. Every place we went to, how we did some. Hey, we own a news partner, and else if them subsequent up, what do you do for a living, or what do you do? We were candid about what we did, and never had any. Uh, any uh, side effects that we're, that we're aware of. The people who are in business in the community, we patronized. And uh, some that, uh, some people in the community that were in the business that took advantage of some, some of our members, in other words, doing some electrical work or selling them something, and because they were coming from here, they thought they could charge them whatever they wanted. Well, we got that straightened around real quick. You were telling me you had some problems with some people that almost brought your club down in the beginning. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, um, I guess maybe as, as knowledgeable as I was about things and being out in, out in the real world working, I didn't realize that uh, some people had, a, had a, a taste for swapping wives and swapping husbands and whatever. And promiscuous in that in that sense, and uh, I did run into that element. And uh, but uh, that, I found that very discouraging. 
first couple of years, or at least for when it happened. These were married couples and you know, church-going uh, professional people, uh, engineers and school teachers and all that kind of, you know, in that, in that, not that I was, you know, setting them up on a pedestal, but these are the ones that were the instigators of the whole thing. And I was, I was approached and said, well, you could, I could make a lot of money if I just let them run the, run the park because they seem fit. And, and anyway, we, we came to parting ways and, and I, I made that quite clear to the one fellow that's from Detroit. He would probably had a, well, he was an engineer and had money and everything else. <clears throat> and I said, why didn't you buy your own property? Well, the answer was, well, we don't want to own property. We just want somebody else to run it. When you look at where nudism is going today or, and how it's changed, is there anything that's not going the right direction in your opinion? I, I think, yeah, there's, there's some things that always bothered me in my early days. Uh, we could have gotten a be- beaches along Lake Erie. There are all kinds of beaches. The one of the beaches, one of the best beaches in the world, in the, in the long Lake Erie south of here, was offered to the to the county for a hundred thousand dollars, about a mi- about a mile, a beach. The rank and file, the wardens and the reeves of the township said it was too much money, so the real estate got into it, and you should see it now. It's all, it's mess. It's a mess. Beautiful, pristine beach. My wife was on council too. She was on. Municipal council, township council, but township council because we were a small county township at that time. We didn't have we had a reeve, no deputy reeve. So the the reeve was he sat on council in in various functions. The uh, so the council members themselves divvied up uh, their their various committees they want to sit on and uh, Pearl at that time she was uh, she, she sat on <clears throat> Lower Thames Conservation Authority and she had already made it and she was quoted in the papers because she was asking if council would you know approve a, a nude, nude beach and they got, she got a lot of publicity and some favor a lot of favorable comment but nothing came out of it nothing came out of it it was uh, it's one of those unfortunate things. I think we we missed the boat then because the attorney general at the time was agreeable. You know, to, 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 the attorney general at the time, and I can't remember who the who it was. It wasn't Roy Murtry, but somewhat maybe just prior to that, and they could have stamped nudism out, but they were agreeable. You know, that they, that's why you know why Carl Rule and a whole lot of other people were able to start. Since we're talking about history. I thought I'd play a song uh, that I found on the Internet Archive at uh, archive.org. It's a very interesting repository where people put up things that are uh, public domain and uh, a lot of it very old. This song is by a gentleman named Billy Mitchell. It's called The Bumblebee Invaded a Nudist Colony. It's a 1920s comedy song, and it comes from a a 78 RPM uh, record uh, that somebody has uh, converted into an audio file. So here is the song, The Bumblebee Invaded a Nudist Colony by Billy Mitchell. Did you ever hear the story about the bumblebee who gave a cocktail party for his family? And when he got as high as he could be, he invaded a nudist Colony, buzz, 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 oh my, oh me, I'm buzz, 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 oh golly gee, buzz, 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 oh what a spree, when the bumblebee invaded the nudist colony. Now Sister Jenny wearing just her birthday suit was strutting around the colony acting like she was cute. She plainly thought 
she was just about it until that bumblebee stung her on a big fat buzz, 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 oh my, oh me, buzz, 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 oh golly gee, buzz, 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 it was an awful spree when the bumblebee invaded the nudist colony. Mama Daisy acting like a baby girl. Naked is the first day she came in the world. She was walking around acting like a nut until that bumblebee stung her on a big set. Buzz, 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 oh my, oh me. Buzz, 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 oh golly gee. Buzz, 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 it was an awful spree when the bumblebee invaded the nudist colony. Now, Big Fat Bill was naked as he could be. He was happy to be living in the colony. Old Bill got tired and laid down in the grass. Then the bee came along and stung him on his big fat buzz, 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 oh my, oh me. Buzz, 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 oh golly gee. Buzz, 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 it was an awful spree. Oh, and the bumblebee faded the nudist colony. At the beginning of August uh, 2009, and by the way, uh, if you wonder why I always add the year when I mention a date, it's because you may be listening to this podcast right when it comes out. And many of our subscribers eagerly await each episode, so they listen to it right away. But because it sits on the internet for potentially forever, um, I have to keep in mind that some people may be listening to this years after I originally recorded it, which is why I say August 2009 as opposed to saying beginning of August. So. Anyway, back to my story. The beginning of August 2009, we had a uh, really interesting old um, trailer pulling uh, with a, uh, a young woman, and uh, she came in and registered in the office. She'd made a reservation, and I was kind of intrigued, so we were chatting, and her name is Stina Sieg, and uh, she's coming from California, and she is traveling around North America. Her, her objective is to spend a year just traveling and camping in her old trailer and discovering North America. And her very first stop was Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. And I was really intrigued with that. And I said, well, so are you a California naturist? Of course, lots of people in, the, in California are naturists with all the clothing optional beaches and the weather there. But uh, no, no. she uh, Once when she was about nine, um, she had uh, visited a naturist park. She had some faint memories of that. But mostly, she was here... And this was really her first experience, and she dove right into it, and she was very comfortable, and she thought it would be an interesting start to her trip. And so what follows is uh, my discussion with uh, Stina Sieg. My name is Stina Sieg, and I'm 26, and I'm a freelance writer and photographer. Um, I've been working in newspapers and magazines for the last five years, and I'm currently for freelance. And um, I am traveling around Canada and the U.S., in a 1969 Bull Zero trailer, and I'm just going to be out for a year, and I'm going to see what happens. Hopefully I'll be able to support myself through my writing and photography, but my main goal is to have some sort of event venture that leaves me different on the other side. So what, what inspired you? How did you get started with this idea? How did you create this project? Um... Well, there's a couple of answers to that question. Uh, one of them is that when I was little, uh, my family traveled in a uh, 1967 school bus for a couple of years. And so that sort of set the precedent for this, uh, I don't know, this trip even being something that would come to my mind. Um, and I kind of wanted, those are really precious memories for me. So I just I kind of wanted to recapture that sense of exploration. But also, uh, when I graduated college, I was dating someone, uh, a Canadian actually, who my dad did not really uh, appreciate. And so his idea was, instead of me going back to um, uh, the East Coast and marrying this person, maybe I should just go travel around 
in, in, in a trailer. And at that point, I, I wasn't going to do it because the idea scared me too much. But now, after three years of living on my own, I think it's kind of finally time to do something that's sort of out there. Now, you're not a naturist, but your very first stop on this uh, adventure is in Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. Why is that? Well, I don't know if I'm a naturist or not yet. That's because I, I went to na naturist parks when I was little, and when we were on that trip, I, I spoke about it. And so um, I wanted to see if I wanted to get back into it. And as a writer and as a photographer, the easiest way for me to understand a group of people is to be there in a way where I'm writing about people. Like I, I, That, to me, is something that gives me an opportunity to see where people are coming from and hear their stories that I wouldn't if I wasn't um, sort of on a writing mission. So when you were young, how young were you when you went, you were last in a naturist park, and uh, whereabouts was it? Well, we started when I was about nine, and then we ended when I was about 11. So I'd say probably the most recent one was somewhere in the south, probably when I was 11, 10. And what are your memories of that? Oh, they're, they're really fun. They're really upbeat. I mean, I, you know... I didn't think anything bad about it. My parents are pretty out there anyway, and we never wore bathing suits. We always had hot tubs, and we never wore bathing suits and hot tubs, so it just seemed like a natural extension of that. So you got here two days ago, mm -hmm. and you took your clothes off. Tell me about that experience. How did it go? How did it feel? How hard was it to do? It wasn't hard at all. I was really pressed for time because we were going to this beach outside of Toronto, Um, on this island and so we had, and the bus was leaving really soon so I had to just strip down really fast and run to the bus so he didn't give me a chance to actually worry about it and that was fine like once I once I did it I mean there was about a 30 second adjustment period and then that was it and living three days like this what's what's been your impression your feelings I've been really amazed at the um, at the community that's here that's the, that's been the biggest That's the biggest. This thing is that is what has left the biggest impression upon me. Um, my I come from a family of fairly uh, individual, solitary folks. Um, we don't do a lot of things like with our neighbors or with um, clubs. So this is sort of new, and I'm really, as, as a single person, I'm really enjoying it. So I, I, that's been the biggest thing. I've met some people who are really friendly and really nice, and. I really love that, and whether I will continue this or not, I think would be very dependent on people I meet later on down the road. Like, I wouldn't want to be at a, new, at a naturist park if the people weren't really welcoming. But if they were, I think that it would feel really nice. It's interesting that the, the biggest impact hasn't been the nudity, which is until you try it, of course. We, we always say that the nudity is, you know, you get used to it very quickly and it's not mm -hmm. a big deal. But the question is, do you think that the nudity impacted your experience and in terms of the people? Do you think it would be different if everybody here was clothed, if it was a traditional textile park? Oh, definitely. Well, I mean, also, I'm coming from a different culture. Where I'm not sure. I'm not sure coming from the Western United States, um, what camp, like the difference between a textile campground there and a textile campground here would be. But there, you go to a campground, everyone is very much on their own. They're with their big group of their family or their friends. And everyone's, you know, probably friendly and drinking. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, everyone's, you know, drinking you know, drinking beer or whatever they're doing. And, but it's, it, it's all very friendly, but it's all very insular. So I think that if I was at... So I don't really know the difference. Uh, but if I were... I think if I were here in Canada, a textile campground, we wouldn't all already have one thing in common. And I, so I think that because we do, it's like everyone's really open to talking. And we, also because I have this, like I'm writing this story, people are friendly and open to letting me hear their story, you know. So I think there's definitely a difference with the nudity. I think that it takes away one barrier, you know. And the, and the fact that I'm here, if I was here as a clothed journalist, I think that it would it would it'd be terrible. You know, so for me, this is like an experiment, but it's also um, a chance to, I don't know, experience something that I really want to. And I don't think I would, I, I would feel a little, maybe a little bit uncomfortable if I wasn't um, 
writing a story just because you need, sometimes you need a feeling of permission somehow to enter into something new. Mm-hmm. So you, you talked about the bus, and uh, as you alluded, you, the, you were nude on the bus, as everyone else was, to go down to a, a clothing-optional beach called Hanlon's Point in Toronto. Um, Was there a difference between that experience there and the experience here? Well, big time. I mean, that was the first thing I did. So that was um, really, that was still a little, I I was nervous, not on a naked level, but on a social level, just because I didn't didn't know anybody. Um, I also got a really gnarly sunburn there, so (laughs) that sort of colored the experience a little bit for me. but there also, there was a whole bunch of people there who weren't in the group. Like, it was a big beach, so you have all the different kinds of folks. And you have some people who I think were Italian, wearing little, like, string bikini bottoms and stuff like that. Um, and here, everyone's definitely more on the same page. Like, definitely families, definitely couples, or definitely, you know, some single folks who are, who are just here in a, with really pure intentions. And at the beach, you didn't really know in the same way. So I didn't feel a sense of community on the beach as I... Um, as I do here. It's much more palpable here. Now, at 26, you have nearly three decades of socialization in, your, in you. And uh, no matter how open-minded your parents are, you live in a world where your body is a bad thing, particularly as a woman. You know, you're supposed to hide it. If you expose it, you're somehow promiscuous, perhaps. Uh, certain parts of your body are supposed to be only for sex and hidden from everyone. Did you find shedding that? Did you have any of those feelings, thoughts? Did you have any reactions? Were you searching, soul-searching a little bit? Um, the only thing I really felt was it was nice to be able to wear so little because I, I, I don't really dress provocatively at all. Um, but I, I did have, I have had a push from uh, my parents, one parent in particular, but I won't, you know, throw them under the bus, but uh, of... Uh, Dressing in a way so that it doesn't accentuate the parts of your body that are, like, chubby. You know, like, if you wear, a, like, a, like, a sleeveless T-shirt, that's kind of showing off your arms. Like, do you really want to do that? And it's not, like, that's not a sexual thing. That's just, like, a maybe that looks unflattering, you know. And here, that is totally gone. And that's the biggest freedom for me is that there's no question about being um, unflattering. Like, your body just is as it is. And there's no cut... Uh, or tailoring of the of clothing that's gonna you know change that you just get to be, which is uh, beautiful. So it sounds like it was fairly easy for you, and so my question is, were you surprised how easy it was as you were driving here? You spent a few days driving, knowing where you were coming. What were you thinking? What were you expecting? Um. I didn't really know what to think or what to expect. I mean, I drove about 1,900 miles in four days, and I had a bunch of writing assignments to send off to um, a travel guide that I was working for and a couple newspapers that were back in Utah. And um, so I didn't I didn't think about anything. I just thought about the doing 600 miles a day, 500 miles a day, whatever. Um I was kind of surprised at how easy it was. I was more surprised at how easy it was socially. I, I, the nakedness didn't really make me nervous. Um, yeah, it didn't... It, that that I knew that was going to be okay, because I kind of... I knew from talking to Paul um, at Going Natural you know, magazine that that there was, a, there was definitely something here that was... Um, I don't know... Uh, that there was going to be a, you know, like a friendliness here. They didn't have to worry about it. It wasn't going to be some austere community I was going to have to break into. Mm-hmm. So I was just going to let that play out, mm-hmm. and it, it did really well. So, so tell me more about uh, the trailer you have. is really cool, and it's this awesome retro trailer. Tell me more about that. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my trailer is is twenty six feet. It's it's uh, it comes from the same era as kind of those old airstreams that people are so familiar with. Uh, the difference is instead of you know the old airstreams mostly are really um, they're really rounded and they're like a really shiny metal. Mine is aluminum as well, but it's it's like a dull has a dull sheen that it was built and that's the kind of metal it is. And it also has gold running stripes down each side, and uh, it's square. 
it's like squared off kind of like a box car instead of um, round, which is actually cool because it gives you more headroom. And, you know, it's, I lived in it for a year and a half in New Mexico, six months in Portland, Oregon. And um, it's really comfortable, um, but it has hardly any insulation. So it forces me to live a semi-naturist life anyway because I have to be, I have to go with the weather. Yeah, I like, you know, I like the old lamps, you know, the lamps, what lampshades you have in it and everything. It has a real kind of feel of the, what year is it, 1967, you said? 69. 1969 trailer. Um, when you're in it, do you, do you ever feel like you're going, you're going back in time? Do you get any funny feelings that way? Um, especially when the, uh, the, the holding tanks start leaking. Then I, then, I, then I get a real sense of the age of the trailer. Um, I, I like, to me, I had to have an old trailer because the new trailers, almost to a T, they all feel like um, kind of cheap hotel rooms, even if you spend $100,000 on them. And it's not to disparage anyone because it is nice to have all those amenities and the insulation and the holding tanks that don't, you know, leak. Uh, you know, that's great. But there's something about the old construction that's really comforting and really homey. And on the inside, the uh, the colors are like the scheme of like teal and blonde wood and like cream colors. So it's all very bright. Um, and you know, when I when we were traveling around in that bus, it was a bus that my father completely remodeled. I mean, it was like he wouldn't even have known that it was a uh, school bus. You know, it was like this flat nose thing with like a completely homey interior. And so for me. I had to have that. Otherwise, I would just go stir-crazy in some little, you know, uh, clapboard blue-tinted box. So, How hard was it to find? Because you wanted one, obviously, that was in good condition. It was interesting because they're actually very hard to find. You can find Airstreams anywhere. Um, Airstreams get really expensive if you get anything that's short. But the, if you get if you got a twenty six foot airstream, it might cost you you know I don't know somewhere between five and ten thousand um, dollars. But bulls arrows are very rare and they're actually kind of cheap. So we just I didn't even know I wanted a bulls arrow. It's just that that was the one trailer I found on eBay that looked really good. And so it was down. I was living in, Calif- in San Francisco in California, and uh, the trailer was down in Bakersfield, which is in Southern California. I don't know, maybe five hours south, four hours south. And so we just called up the people and said, well, we're not going to bid on this without having seen it. But we drove down there, my father and I, and we saw it and we liked it. And then we, we bought it, you know, just outright from them. So it was easy, but it was lucky that I found it. So tell me more about your planned trip. This is your first stop from here. Where are you going to go? How It's a year. Where do you plan on going? Well, I'm really intrigued by the East Coast because I lived on the West almost all of my life. I really want to go um, up into northern, well, you know, I want to go into eastern Canada a little bit more. I want to see Montreal. I want to see Nova Scotia. You know, I, I want to see Prince Edward Island. You know, I want, I, I want to, I really want to get back into Maine and into uh, Vermont and New Hampshire. Just because when you live in the wide open spaces, uh, it's wonderful. But you are always curious what it would be like to be just a little bit more hemmed in by the world and you know quaintness is sort of not really uh, something that happens in the west as it does on the east hopefully by the time it gets really cold though you'll be further south oh yeah yeah well that's the thing too i mean so i can't i really can't be in weather that's any less than freezing so i'm gonna i'm gonna go down into florida for a little bit but really uh, texas louisiana i really want to get to and texas stays hot much longer than it ever should so i'll be i'll be down there probably um by the time it gets chilly now despite the fact your first stop was a naturist park this is not a naturist trip so are you planning on stopping at any other naturist places along the way well yeah actually i am and i i would love to have that be part of my writing experience is writing about these different naturist places and i already um i talked to you know paul at going natural and Nikki Hoffman, who does N Magazine down in the States. And so I'm going to write for them, but also I just uh, spoke with a, a fellow who's a travel writer and a naturist, and he put me, he might put, help me contact these other um, magazines, like one in Australia and one in uh, England. 
And I, to me, like that would be so amazing because it would kind of get me into these communities that not all nature's communities are easy to just uh, be part of because some of them are more um, a little bit more exclusive because they want to you know protect what they have, which I think makes complete sense. Uh, so if people want to follow you, is there a way they can follow your trip and read your writings about your experiences as you go? Yes, there is. I have a blog. Um, and it's my first name and last name. And But it, my, left, my name is so complex that I'm sure that it, uh, there'll be many uh, mis... Uh, I don't know. There'll be many misfirings when people try to find it. But it's just stinasieg.com. And it's, uh, it's S as in Sam, T-I-N-A, S as in Sam, I-E-G. And uh, if you type up my name, Stina Sieg, it'll be the first thing that comes up because there's only really one person with my name. Uh, and I will, the blog is, will be up, uh, it should be up by the time this podcast comes out pretty much or pretty soon. And it's just going to be a, you know, daily, weekly, monthly experience of my trip with pictures and, you know, perhaps little stories about people I meet along the way and places that I go. Sounds awesome. And of course, we'll put a link to that in the show notes so that uh, our listeners can just click on it without having to figure out how to spell it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it for today's episode of The Naturist Living Show. As usual, we always love to hear back from you. Send us your comment at naturistliving at bareoaks.ca or you can leave a voicemail at area code 253-369-9383. Uh, you can now also subscribe to our Twitter feed. Well, it's the Bear Oaks Twitter feed, but you'll get a notification whenever there's a new podcast as well as new uh, blog postings on the Bear Oaks blog. Uh, it's Twitter slash Bear Oaks Park. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back next month with another episode, uh, one of several that are actually already in production. Take care. This episode of The Naturist Living Show was brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Traditional values means that naturism is more than just taking your clothes off. It is a life philosophy with physical, psychological, environmental, social, and moral benefits. Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park strives to promote those naturist values in a modern setting that provides the amenities and services that our members and visitors expect. Free your body, free your mind. Learn more at www.bareoaks.ca.